passage this morning is found in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, continuing through verse 20. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Thanks, Terry. Children are now dismissed. Thank you for joining with us. You can meet your teachers in the back. K through junior high are free to go. So again, thanks for being with us. Let's pray as we turn to the word and uh, hear from the Lord this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here. Thank you that you have not left us without truth to change our thinking, to mold us. And Lord, we need you to open our hearts this morning by the power of your spirit that your word may penetrate deeply into our hearts. We confess that we're so often hard-hearted, but we need a fresh word from you today. We ask that you'd give it. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. We've been told here in America that we can have it all. That you can be a good Christian and at the same time, live for the American dream. We've combined the two. You can be a good Christian and you can still have financial success, live an affluent lifestyle, have status, have comfort, have all your needs taken care of physically and emotionally and in every way, that you can put America first, Focus on that, or you can, do, you can have all this. We've been told that in America, but it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Your heart and my heart was built for only one master. And Jesus said very clearly, you can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. Either Jesus has your whole heart, <laughs> or he doesn't have it. Something else does. More and more people are finding out that you can't 
have it all. You can't live for the American dream and try to be a good Christian too. It simply does not work. In fact, it's not only unsatisfying in the long run, but it's deadly to the spiritual soul of a believer. It's deadly. I'm finding older folks that have lived most of their life who are asking, what have I given my life for? Why did I do this? What, what good is it? What do I have left to offer? I've talked to a number of middle-aged folks, of which I am one, <laughs> who are wondering, there has to be more to life. I've achieved this, or I've tried to achieve, and, and what do I have left? What, what's my life about now? What, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Studies have shown that many men in the church in America are feeling useless, unnecessary, because somehow they don't feel used running church programs or teaching Sunday school. Young people today are disillusioned with the kind of Christianity that they see too often, and they're leaving the church in droves for house churches, for emerging churches, for other things, because they are frustrated with what they see. read an interesting book lately by one of those young people. It's called The Irresistible Revolution. Here's a description by, in the preface. There's an emergence of a new generation of Christians eager and ready to take their faith into the world. The Christianity of private piety affluent conformity, and only God bless America. Now let's think about that. Private piety. It's me and God. (laughs) Affluent conformity. Our lives as Christians look like everybody else in America. And only God bless America. I think what he means there, God bless only America. Somehow that God's on our side but nobody else's. These attitudes, this kind of Christianity, has compromised the witness of the church while putting a new generation of Christians to sleep. Defining faith by the things you won't do or question does not create a compelling style of life. And a new generation of young people is hungry for an agenda of its commitment, its energy, and its gifts. A new generation of believers is waking up and catching on fire with the gospel again. Hallelujah. Here's the writings of one of them. His experience with church. I recall thinking that if God was as boring as Sunday morning, I wasn't sure I wanted anything to do with him. And I remember joking with friends that if someone had a heart attack on Sunday morning, the paramedics would have to take the pulse of half the congregation before they would find the dead person. You see, I think what we're getting at here is that we were built for more. We were built, created to be part of something far greater than just our own comfort, making our own lives work. We're built for the kingdom of God. And there is so much more than we tend to live for as we live out our own selfish agendas. We were made to live for the gospel. And the gospel 
living for the gospel, living a gospel-centered life is the only thing that can really satisfy our hearts because that's what we're created for. Anything else is trying to put a round peg in a square hole. It won't work until we begin to live more fully for the gospel. All of us long to leave a mark, right? With our lives, have a life of significance so that when we leave, you know, we've carved our initials into something that's going to last permanently instead of our lives just being like a a pebble thrown in a lake that there's a few ripples, but then there's no sign that we were ever here. We're made to live for something eternal. Well, today in our study of Philippians, as we look at chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, there's a wonderful contrast I want to make between living a self-centered life and a gospel-centered life. Between a self-centered life and a gospel-centered life. The Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into his own life, into his own heart, as he just shares with the Philippians And it helps us see and understand what it means to live a gospel-centered life, a life that's truly living for the kingdom of God and not for ourselves. Don't you long for that, really, deep down? I do. Don't you long to live for something really important? So let this passage inspire you to want more. And to begin to move in a direction where you live for more. Paul begins this way, verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. Now I want you to know, brethren, I really want you to know something. I want you to understand something. My circumstances, the things concerning me, the things I've been going through, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Let's look at Paul's situation here. He says, I just want you to know, you know what's happened to me? It's it's really turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. The gospel's expanding because of what I've been through. Well, what are the things that he's been through? Well, of course, we know a whole litany of things about Paul. By this time, he'd been beaten several times. He'd been stoned and left for dead. He'd been imprisoned several times. Most recently... He was in a big riot in Jerusalem. He got arrested really for his own protection because many were trying to kill him. He underwent false accusations. He was kept in prison. His own people, the Jews, tried to kill him. He was kept in prison in Caesarea for two years without trial. Eventually was sent to Rome. On the way, he was shipwrecked. The soldiers wanted to kill him then. His life was spared. And now he's in Rome, in prison, chained constantly to a Roman guard, in a sense shelved, not able to fulfill his ministry, trapped in a dungeon, can't do much. Now, if that were me, I'm afraid my response would be frustration. And I think this is what most of us would expect, frustration discouragement, fear, distress, feeling shelved by God. God, I had all this great ministry going and I was teaching and planning churches and all kinds of things, traveling the known world, and here I am for four years now in a dungeon put on the shelf. Wouldn't we be questioning, God, what are you doing with me? But notice, 
Paul's response is not frustration. In fact, if you look down, verse 18, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. He goes on to say, I'm confident that this will turn out in my deliverance. I have earnest expectation and hope, verse 20. I have boldness, courage, he says. He has joy. He has confidence. He has hope. He has boldness. He has courage. None of the things we would expect. (laughs) Why? How can Paul have that kind of attitude in the face of what he's going through? Well, I would submit to you it's because he has a different value system than we too often tend to live by. He is no longer living a self-centered life. He has shifted to a whole different value system. He's living a gospel-centered life, which is exactly where God calls each of us to live as well. As we go through this passage, think about what drives you. What's at the center of your life? What, what motivates you in your life? You see, a gospel-centered life delights in Christ being made known. Notice what he says. Again, verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment, my chains in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Paul is delighted that he's in jail And he's excited because, hey, the word spread about why I'm in jail. People know I'm here. It's for Christ. And isn't that great? (laughs) Isn't that exciting? To me, that's kind of stunning that he would have that attitude. We tend to worry so much about our own well-being, our own success. You see, Paul, in a way, is put on a shelf, and yet he's delighted because he sees that God is working in the midst of this. And we tend to feel that when I can't fulfill my agendas, that we question God. God, what are you doing with me? Why are you putting me on the shelf? Why can't I live out my life? Why? We worry so much about our success. But you know, Paul's not worried about that at all. In fact, he's just excited that people are gossiping about him. <laughs> They're out there talking about the fact of why I'm in prison, that it's for Jesus. Isn't that great? I'm so excited because God's at work here. How could Paul say that? Well, I think he, has, he could only say that because he has a clear understanding that God is at work in the situation. That it's not his agenda that matters, but it's God's kingdom that matters. This should be an encouragement to you and to me that whatever you're going through, if you feel like, God, what are you doing with me? I don't understand. This, this is not the agenda I planned. Understand that God has a bigger plan and God is working in the midst of your circumstances to further his kingdom. So your choice is either be frustrated because you're worried about self Or to begin to shift and say, Lord, thank you that you are building your kingdom and that I'm part of it somehow, even though I can't necessarily see it now. And Paul is just excited that God's at work in his situation. It says, Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. What was the Praetorian Guard? These were the elite 
special service group of the Roman legionnaires. They were paid twice as much as a normal soldier. They got all the elite jobs. They were the ones who guarded the emperor and the senators in the Roman government. And they were the ones who guarded special political prisoners like Paul. And think about this. Paul's chained to one (laughs) 24-7. They were a captive audience. (laughs) And so Paul's there and he shares with each one and they're there for a four-hour shift or whatever and shares with one and then the next and then the next. and, And he says, guess what? The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else around, uh, you know, I think he's generalizing here, an awful lot of people are hearing about the fact why I'm in prison. Even perhaps the emperor himself had heard. What does this show us? No matter what you're going through, God is sovereign and he's at work and he can use that for good if we can learn to live for the gospel and say, God... Use my life to further your kingdom. I want to be part of what you're doing. So the question for us in being able to have this kind of attitude like Paul is, are we living a self-centered life or a gospel-centered life? Well, as we go on, we see that a gospel-centered life delights in the word being preached, being made known. Verse 14, and that most of the brethren... Trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, Paul, again, he's emphasizing here, I think, that he's in a place of discomfort. He's chained. He's in a dungeon. He doesn't get to move around. He has no freedom. You see, if you're living a self-centered life, you'd be worried about your own comfort. Oh, it's so tough here, and I've got to be chained, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and the food's bad. And You see, if you're worried about your own comfort first, that's your attitude. But Paul's attitude is very different, living a gospel-centered life. What he's excited about, <laughs> he's not complaining like we might. What he's excited about is, I'm excited because, guess what? Because I'm in prison, people are boldly preaching the word. He's not worried about his own comfort. He's not worried because people are cutting him off at the, in traffic and, or he's got to sit for two minutes at a traffic light or he's got to wait in line at the fast food drive through or whatever and those things that we get upset about. He's in prison. And yet he doesn't even worry about that. Because he's so excited that God's word is being preached. Now, it says that because he's in prison, people are speaking the word even more boldly. With courage, without fear. Why do you think that is? I mean, I would think perhaps they would be more afraid. Wow, Paul got arrested. I don't know if I want to do this. But I think what's happening is that they were emboldened because they saw... if. If Paul can suffer for Christ, I can too. He's a great example to me. I'm going to go out and preach it boldly and trust that God's going to take care of me because I've seen it in Paul. And I think perhaps they were emboldened because they saw that, well, Paul's in jail. I can't rely on him anymore. God wants to use me to step out and teach the word. I'm needed. God needs me for the kingdom and I need to step out and teach and use my gifts and trust God to take care of me. So people were speaking the word 
boldly. Paul gets put in jail and the gospel expands. As Ray Stedman used to say, the best thing you could do for the church is throw all the pastors in jail. (laughs) There's some truth to that. Maybe people would stop depending so much on pastors and they would say, you know what, God needs me. That's that's why our goal, our our whole stated philosophy at Cole is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's what you're doing that does the ministry, not me. I'm just here to equip you, build you up so you can get out and do the ministry. That's the whole plan of God. Just another thought about throwing pastors in jail, how God uses that. This is from a book called Flowing Streams, the autobiography of Stuart Briscoe. He talks about going to Poland under the Cold War when the communists were in control. And he went to teach a conference there, and he said, the conference was united gathering of Baptists, Brethren, and Pentecostals. These groups, in my experience, did not always coexist with any discernible degree of harmony. In other words, they don't get along, right? (laughs) And I mentioned how good it was to see the obvious love they had for one another. It wasn't always like this, I was told. One day, Stalin ordered all evangelical pastors arrested. Finding themselves in the same cells for the same offense, loving and preaching Jesus, they decided wisely that as they were all suffering for him, they should work together for him too. So the Evangelical Alliance was born in prison. Whatever you're going through, no matter how imprisoned you may feel, God still wants to use you to build his kingdom. He has a plan in that. So learn to delight in his word being preached. Look for opportunities to share the truth. A gospel-centered life also delights in Christ being proclaimed. Delights in Christ being proclaimed. Verse 15. Some, to be sure, he's saying these people are out preaching the word. They have more courage. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my chains, in my imprisonment. Notice he says there's two groups out there preaching. They're both preaching the truth. They're both preaching Christ. They're focusing on him. But he said one group is doing it out of love for me out of encouragement for me, out of wanting to step in and, and bless me by uh, loving the people that I love out in the churches, teaching them, building them up. But he said there's a whole other group. <laughs> and they are doing it out of envy, out of strife. And it says specifically they're doing it to cause Paul distress, tribulation, to hurt him while he's in prison. I don't know what all they were saying or whatever, but I'm guessing that they were trying to take away his disciples. They were trying to take over his churches. They were trying to make Paul look bad. I'm sure they were saying things like, you know, if Paul was really godly, 
this wouldn't have happened to him. God's punishing him for something. That's why he's in prison. That's why he's put on a shelf. You see, they wanted to undermine his ministry and his reputation. How would you react? I think a lot of us would probably really want to defend ourselves, defend our reputation. Wait a minute, they've got it all wrong, and we would want to fight because our reputations are so important to us. You see, if we're so concerned about our reputation, what kind of life are we living? A self-centered life, right? But if you're living a gospel-centered life, you'll respond more like Paul. Paul is excited. He rejoices that these guys are preaching the word. Notice verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I will rejoice. I'm rejoicing. I find joy because Christ is being proclaimed. Oh, yeah, my reputation, it's kind of shot. But you know what? That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the kingdom of God advancing. How could he have that kind of attitude? Well, it's impossible if you're living a self-centered life. It just is. If you're so concerned about getting the credit, if you're so concerned about your own reputation, but if you're living a gospel-centered life, you're going to be excited about any advancement of the kingdom, no matter what it costs you and no matter what people think of you. As Ronald Reagan used to quote, and it's a very common quote, but he used to like to say, there's no limit to what a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Or as Ray Stedman used to say, there's no limit to the amount of good a person can do if they don't care who gets the credit. Paul doesn't care who gets the credit. They're preaching. They're trying to undermine my ministry. As long as they're preaching truth, as long as Christ is proclaimed, I am thrilled. Isn't that a marvelous picture of a gospel-centered life? And then finally, a gospel-centered life delights in Christ enlarged. Christ enlarged. What do I mean there? Verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, my salvation, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ. What is Paul saying there? There's some confusion. Is he saying, I'll end up in heaven, or is he saying I'll get out of jail? Well, we see a few verses later that Paul's pretty confident he's going to be let out of jail, and he'll get a chance to go visit the Philippians again. And the truth is, he was let out of jail. He ended up traveling around, visiting the churches again, and then was rearrested and eventually taken to, back to Rome and beheaded by the Emperor Nero, and that's when he died. But at this point, he's confident he'll be released thanks to their prayers. But he also shows the deep desire of his heart, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body. And the word there literally means enlarged. That Christ would be supersized. (laughs) He says, that's my desire that that people would see Christ as far bigger than they see him now. That when people come in contact with me, whether by my life or by my death, that Christ would appear bigger and bigger to them, that they would see him more and more like he really is. The huge, sovereign, awesome God that he is. He says, that's what I'm excited about. Whether I live or die, that doesn't matter. 
You see, he puts making Christ visible and known above his own personal safety, his own personal security. He's not afraid of death. Now, if you're living a self-centered life, how would you respond here? Terrified to die, right? And again, our culture is so terrified of death. We put so much money and effort and uh, prescriptions and exercise and etc. to try to fend off death just a little longer because we're so terrified of it. If you're living a self-centered life, you have to put so much energy to try to hang on to that life. But if you're living a gospel-centered life, you're able to let it go. It doesn't matter if I live or die. What I'm concerned about is that Jesus be proclaimed and exalted. I think about this for me. How often have I been afraid to speak up in a situation because I'm so afraid of rejection? I'm afraid of somebody not liking me. I'm afraid of somebody being angry. I don't like conflict and on and on. How many times have I chosen to put self above the gospel? But I love Paul's attitude here. His attitude is, all I'm concerned about is that Christ be proclaimed. Whatever happens to me, God's in charge of that. But I long for Christ to be enlarged, (laughs) magnified, exalted. Many of you know or knew Barbara and Claude Levitt, a couple that spent most of their lives in the jungles of South America. Barbara Levitt was sick. She was dying. She knew it. On April 21st, 2005, I asked her, how can I pray for you? And these are the words she said. I wrote them down because I didn't want to forget. How can I pray for you? She said this. Pray that I'll be able to endure whatever he gives me to face. Pray that I'll be able to endure whatever he gives me to face. So he'll be glorified in me. The only thing she cared about is that she wouldn't betray her God in the last days of her life. That was April 21st, 2005. Barbara died about a week later. She went to be with the Lord, and you know what? The Lord answered that prayer. She died with dignity. She glorified her Lord. Barbara's one of those unique people that lived a gospel-centered life. And you know what? She experienced freedom in her life from all the things that a self-centered life enslaves you to. Whatever she faced, she saw an opportunity to further the kingdom of God, and that's all she cared about. Many of you have probably seen the movie The End of the Spear about the life of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the others. There's a famous quote by Jim Elliott. You may have heard it. The husband of Elizabeth Elliott. Jim was murdered by the Aka Indians in Ecuador in 1956. But he gave this quote beforehand that's been quoted often since. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
there's two ways to live life ultimately. A self-centered life where you have to defend yourself, protect yourself, take care of your own success, your own comfort, your own reputation, your own safety. And the other way to live is a gospel-centered life where you trust God to take care of you and you experience what Barbara Levitt did, what Jim Elliott did, what Paul did. Joy, courage, boldness, and freedom from the tyranny of self. The gospel-centered life is one that finds deep purpose in living, living for the gospel, living to see Christ proclaimed, living to see the word taught, Because you're part of something bigger than self. You're part of the kingdom of God. And God wants to use you to enlarge Christ, to make him bigger, so that people see who he really is in a world that has made Jesus tiny, invisible. Are you a senior citizen? Are you middle-aged? Are you a man who can't find your purpose Are you a youth wondering what Christianity is all about? Why am I here? God calls you right where you are right now to live for much more than the American dream, much more than self. He calls you and I to live for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to set us free, to live his life through us, to build the kingdom of God. And we are his warriors to spread that good news. Let's just take a moment and pray quietly to yourself between you and God. Just speak to him about this and where your heart is this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul, the example of Barbara Levitt, the example of Jim Elliott, and others you've placed in our lives. To help us see there's another way to live. Rather than trying to live for self and take and get for ourselves. Protecting and guarding and serving self. That we can live for you and your kingdom. Trusting you to be all that we need. Help us Lord as we walk out of here today. As we go forth. May we go forth changed. Moved to live a gospel-centered life, to let go of the things we've hung on to, that we might be your warriors, your people for the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' precious and powerful and healing name. Amen. Let's stand and uh, I'll dismiss us. I just want to close again with verse 20. Let this verse challenge your heart this morning. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, Paul writes, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted, magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's go forth and let that be your cry this week, your prayer that Christ would be exalted in your body, whether by life or by death. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.